Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. We have temporarily suspended our in-person service and will be broadcasting live via our Facebook page, Beacon Church, and on our website, beacon.church forward slash live on Sundays at 1030 a.m. until further notice. Beacon is a non-for-profit, and if you shop Amazon, you can support the work at Beacon by selecting the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization, and a small portion of every purchase will help move our work forward. Remember to shop smile.amazon.com and select the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. Thank you and hope to connect with you soon. Well, a few years ago, Lindsay and I, we happened to win tickets to a fashion show in New York City. Uh, this was a, a really kind of special thing that we got very excited about because you can't just go out and buy tickets to a fashion show. These are usually reserved for people that work in the industry. In this particular instance, we won these tickets. So we're really excited. And we get decked out and we go into the city for this and we get there and very, very, very quickly we realize we do not belong in this place. Uh, I, I mean, it was, uh, uh, look, I'm, I know I'm not like a fashion icon or anything, like I'm not super fashion forward, but at the same time, I'm not like a Neanderthal, at least I thought, but when I got there, it felt like, it felt like I stepped into the future. I mean, like the outfits that people were wearing, like it was just nothing I'd ever seen before. And this wasn't like the models, this was, this, the other attenders, like as we were, as we were approaching, uh, they had a photographer at the door and he was taking pictures of people as they were entering in. And as uh, we were coming, the guy in front of us, uh, the photographer stops to like take his photo. And before he does, I see his head peer up over the camera, and and he actually just waves to Lindsay and me because us uggos were like cramping the photo of this you know special person. And then then we get to the door expecting him to take our photo, and he just ignores us. Uh, I was under the impression he was taking photos of everyone because he was taking photos of everyone except us like we we were not meant to be in this place and I don't know if I've ever had an experience where I felt so unspecial it was like in a, a sea of Arnold Schwarzenegger's and I was Danny DeVito like I was the, the leftovers and I just kind of felt like I I don't belong here. Like I'm just getting in the way of people. And and I, I imagine you've never been in the, the situation where you've been severely underdressed at a fashion show. However, I expect you've asked some of these questions before. Do I belong here? Do I matter? Am I am I special at all? Does everybody else have something special about them and, and I don't? Am I insignificant? Do I not matter? I think we all wrestle with this at some moments in our lives. And for you, maybe it has been scattered moments throughout your life. Uh, for others, maybe it's been prolonged seasons throughout your life. For some of you, you've been wrestling with this your whole life. Like, this is the norm where these questions are plaguing you. Do I matter? Am I significant? Is there any real reason why I'm here on this earth? And in, a midst of, uh, in the midst of this current crisis, some of these questions can really be brought to light as well. I know for some of you, you've been stuck home uh, for weeks now, and you've been alone. And you're feeling increasingly lonely with each passing day and each passing hour. And, and maybe you start to wonder, start to wonder if other people miss you as much as you miss them. You start to wonder if, if anybody's going to be excited to see you when all of this is over. Do you matter? Are you significant? And these questions go through your mind. 
For others of you, you've just been so frantic in, in light of this. And, you know, maybe you're a working parent who's also trying to homeschool and you feel like you have all of these plates spinning and you're not sure if you can keep them spinning and you're worried that if you drop the ball, what is that going to say about you? What if you don't measure up? Who are you then? And you see all these other parents on Instagram and Facebook, they're, they're nailing it and they're doing all this extra stuff in addition and you're just like barely getting by. And you start to question, am I... Am I okay? Do I matter? Am I significant? Maybe for you, you recently lost your job, and, and that was the thing that you felt like made you matter. Now you, you can't provide for your family. You're not sure what it's going to look like in the future, and you're starting to wonder, if I don't have this, do I matter? Am I significant? Am I important still? Or, or maybe for you, you've been on the front lines of this and you've been just run through the gauntlet and people are calling you a hero and you are thinking inside, I don't feel like a hero and I don't know if I'm going to make it. And what if this breaks me? What then? Who am I then if, if I can't make it through this? Is my, is my failure going to define me? Is that all I'm going to amount to? I know for others, in, in the midst of all of this, you've been the victim of racial discrimination and hatred. And I've talked to some of you, and I've seen your stuff on Facebook, and it's crazy to me that this is still happening, and yet it is. And, and maybe as you, you hear these words, or you see other people have to endure these things, for you, it, it triggers uh, all of these memories, a lifelong feeling that maybe you don't quite fit in, like maybe you're just a little bit of an outsider, like a little bit like a, a second-rate citizen. And all of that comes flooding back, and you wonder, do I, do I matter as much as the next guy? For others of you, maybe you've lost somebody in the last few weeks, and you haven't been able to grieve as somebody normally should be able to grieve, and you haven't been able to get the closure that we're used to, and, and you start to even wonder about them, because you, you, know, you hear newscasters and politicians kind of refer to people dying as just st uh, st statistics, a number. You know they matter to you, but do they, do they really matter? Are they significant? And we can ask these questions in a whole lot of ways, but in the midst of a scenario like this, I think these, these questions can pop up much more often and much more regularly. And the world tries to give us an answer. And there's a few different answers that are out there. On the one end of the spectrum, the world says, and if you've ever seen like any movie ever, they say, yes, you matter. You are significant. You are special just for being you. But they never say why, right? They just say, no, 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 you, you're special because you are special, which is a really nice sentiment, but without anything underneath it, without any foundation, something to back it up, it's flimsy. And, and you and I both know that when the real storms of life come, that flimsy foundation, it's not enough to secure our hope, not, not long term. And you go all the way to the other end of the spectrum, you have the naturalist and the materialist, like the secular mindset that says, actually, no, you don't matter. Nothing really matters. You're an accident, and the sooner you can just get over this whole mattering thing and meaning and significance and all of that and just get on with your life, the better. In fact, this is, this is precisely what uh, one of the, the 20th century philosophers actually say. Bertrand Russell, he says, man is the product of causes which had no provision of the end they were uh, achieving. His origin, his growth, his hopes and fears, his loves and his beliefs are but the outcome of accidental collocations of atoms. He goes on to say, man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. 
only within the scaffolding of these truths, only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair can the soul's habitation henceforth be safely built. <laughs> All right. So what he's saying is that you're an accident. You don't matter. So stop asking the question. The reason you're bummed out is because you're asking this question. You want to feel important and significant, but you don't stop asking the question, get on with life, and that's, that's your best hope. Now, it might not surprise you that Bertrand Russell struggled with depression and suicidal thoughts most of his life. Uh, in fact, he actually wrote uh, one time that the only thing that was keeping him alive was his love for math. That's how low life got. Math is what kept him alive, which shows you clearly they didn't have common core back then. Uh, but, but that's the, the other end of the spectrum is just say, well, you know, no, I don't mean anything. So just stop asking that question and move on. But, but in the middle, there's this third option, and it's kind of an unspoken answer to the question. And it's, it's the question of you can matter if. The answer of you can matter if you have the right things going on in your life. You can matter if you have the right job or if you're able to provide for your family in the right way or if you have the right person to love you or if you look the, the right way. And it's a, a pervasive if. And, and by that, I mean it's an if that keeps popping up again, right? As soon as you check off one thing on the list, it's like, great, you got the job. Now you can really matter if you get the relationship. And then you get the relationship. And it's like, great, you have the job and the relationship. Now you can really matter if you also get the house, and if you can do this, and, and that if keeps popping back up, and it never really helps us deal with this, this deep-seated question of, do I matter? Am I important? Am I, in, am I significant in this world? And the Bible, it actually offers a better hope, a promise that you are more significant than you ever could dreamed of. And it's a hope that is unshakable. And we're in the second week of this series that we're calling Unshakable Hope. And it's connected with a book by the same title, Unshakable Hope, by Max Lucado. And Max Lucado, Max Lucado, I go back and forth on how to pronounce that. But Max Lucado, he, uh, he built this book around the premise that there are certain promises in Scripture that are so good and, and God is so faithful to his promises that if we build our lives on these promises, we can develop an unshakable hope, a hope that is able to withstand anything that life can throw at us. And, and last week, Robert looked at this unshakable hope of resurrection built on the promise that Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits and our resurrection is certain because he has also been raised from the dead. And this week, we're looking at another one of these promises. And it is a promise that says that you matter. You are important. You are more spectacular and more remarkable than you ever dreamed. And if you have a, a Bible, I would love for you to open up to Genesis chapter 1. We're going all the way back to the beginning of Scripture to look at the very first thing that we learn about you. And the very first thing we learn about me and the very first thing we learn about any human being ever back in Genesis 1, beginning in verse 26. And so if you have a Bible and you want to open up there, great, we're also going to have it here on the screen. But we're going to look at, at this brief text that talks about why and how you and I were made. And it's after, it comes after God has created everything else, everything else. And then he, he tops off his creation with this. He says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
You have been created in the image of God. If you want to know what gives your life meaning, what gives you significance as a person, it is this reality that you were created in the image and the likeness of the creator of the universe. It's something that we call the Imago Dei, which is simply Latin for image of God, but it makes it sound so much more epic when you say Imago Dei, right? Uh, but you were created in the image of God, and this gives you meaning and significance in this world. Now, I grew up uh, in the Christian faith. This idea of being created in the image of God is something that uh, it's been part of my life, all my life, and yet it hasn't always meant much to me. Like, I knew it was there. I knew it was the truth, but it always kind of felt empty and insignificant. I don't know if you're in that place where you're like, yeah, I know I'm created in the image of God, but it doesn't really mean that much to you. Well, what I want to do with the rest of our time is I want to flesh out what it means to be in the image of God, kind of create this 3D picture of what the image of God means for you, why this isn't just a, a statement to read over quickly, why it's not just a, a trivial piece of information in your theology, but why it really does matter for the, the chaos of life that you might find yourself in here and now. But before we jump into the significance of the image of God, I just want to clear up real quickly, three kind of make three clarifications and uh, deal with some maybe misconceptions about the image of God. First is that the image of God is not a physical image. So when the author says you're creating the image of God, it's not suggesting that God has two arms and two legs and walks upright and has opposable thumbs. Uh, God doesn't have a physical image. The scriptures tell us God is spirit. He's often referred to as the invisible God. And there are times where God takes on a physical image to reveal himself to us. But God doesn't have a physical image. And so the image of God is not, not a physical image image. It's something to do with our, our souls. So it's not something we can see, but it's, it's core to who we are, deep in the, the essence of what it is to be human, is to be in the image of God. The second clarification is that the image of God is not something you have, it's what you are. So over the centuries, uh, theologians and lay people have hypothesized what exactly is the image of God in a person. Uh, you know, some say it's a capacity. It's the capacity for, you know, rational thought, or it's the capacity to, uh, you know, uh, think abstractly, or the awareness, self-awareness, and a capacity like that. Or some say it's a role. It has to do with us ruling over the world, and and others say it's, it has a, a capacity for relationship the kinds of relationships that we get to have with other human beings and the kinds of relationships we have with God. And, and I do believe that these are the outworking of the image of God in us, but these themselves aren't the image of God in us. And, and here's why this is important. If the image of God is something that you have, what happens when you lose that thing? Like if it's the capacity to have rational thought, what happens if you lose that ability? Do you lose the image of God? Is what makes you significant that that fragile. And the scriptures say no. In fact, if you look into the scripture, you try to figure out what exactly is the image of God, it only says one thing. It says you are. It doesn't say anything about you as the image of God. It says that you are the image of God. And the third clarification is that sin, uh, that the image of God, it can be obscured by sin, but it can't be removed by sin. So even after humanity falls and it falls into sin and things get like really, really bad, God still says we're in his image. In fact, even after the flood in Genesis 9, after humanity got like to the worst it had gotten up to that point, God still references us as being in his image and says that we matter and our lives matter because of his image in us. Right? Uh, I love the illustration that Max Lucado uses in his book. He, he says it's like a coin. 
All right, if you take a coin that has uh, you know, an impression on it and you cover it in dirt, you might not be able to see the image that's on it, but it doesn't see, mean that that image is gone. It's just obscured. And so, yes, it's true that uh, maybe we aren't all reflecting God equally, but we are all bearing his image equally. And that can't be taken away from us because it's not something we have. It's what, it's what you are. You are the image of God in this world. And no one and nothing can take that away from you. Right. So now I, I want to dive into why this matters for your life. And I, I want to talk about three dimensions of the image of God that make it meaningful and significant. All right, and this first image, the first dimension is that nothing else in creation gets the image of God. Right? Nothing else in creation gets to bear God's image except you. So you look at our text in Genesis, and it, Genesis 126 is where you get humanity, and God saved the best for last. Right? He starts and he, he creates the cosmos and everything in the universe, and then he fills all of that with life and everything. So he he creates planets, and he creates galaxies, he creates suns and supernovas, and and then he creates Mount Everest and Kilimanjaro, and he creates the northern lights, and he creates the depths of the sea, and then he starts to create things like sea creatures, like, like bioluminescent jellyfish. He creates this thing, And it makes light out of itself. It's incredible. He creates things like the blue whale, right? That's a human being next to a blue whale. He creates this thing, all right? And and then he creates the superb bird of paradise. Uh, I I don't know if you've seen one of these before, but that's a bird. Like, not this. And yes, this is a bird. But this is also a bird back here, all right? Uh, And God made that too. And, And then he made, like, the tiger, with all of its majesty. And he made all of these things and he was just getting warmed up as he was making all of these things. Because he looked at all these things and none of these things were worthy to bear his image except you and me. Which means, and I know this is, this is going to be hard to believe, but it means that the creature on the right is infinitely more valuable than the creature on the left in this picture. I know that might be shocking to believe, but it's true. Because as human beings bearing the image of God, there is something remarkable about us. Like, like think about it. The, The Grand Canyon, the Grand Canyon isn't fit to bear God's image. The night sky, the night sky isn't qualified to bear God's image. Like the next time you look at like a spectacular sunset and you think, wow, that's amazing. I want you to know that sunset is looking back at you and saying, I wish I had an ounce of the splendor of that image bearer that's staring at me right now because you are unique in all creation. Nothing else gets the image of God. You are far more significant than any other creature that is or was because we are in the image of the creator of heaven and earth. The second dimension of this promise is that every person is leveled up. So it's helpful to uh, know who wrote this and who uh, he was writing it to. So Moses wrote the, the book of Genesis, and he was writing it to the Israelites as they were leaving Egypt. And as they uh, were leaving Egypt, they, they spent the last 400 years in Egypt. So every person had spent their whole life there. Their parents spent their whole life there. Their grandparents spent their, their grandparents' grandparents spent their whole life there. So for all of these people, Egypt was the norm. Egypt was the status quo. And even though they were kind of outsiders in that land, that was still the, the dominant culture of their day. And in Egyptian culture, there was one person who was 
identified as being an image bearer of the gods, and that was Pharaoh. Pharaoh, who was their supreme ruler, was known to be the, uh, the embodiment, the, the visible human embodiment of one of their gods. And his offspring might also be considered that as well, because it wasn't something Pharaoh earned by kind of like becoming Pharaoh. No, Pharaoh got to be Pharaoh because he was born into it, and they believed that he was uniquely a bearer of the image of God. And so you have to think of this through the, the lens of what the Israelites would have been thinking as they hear this, because in their minds, there's only one person who's ever been the image of God, and that's Pharaoh. And that makes sense, because he was the ruler of the whole kingdom. And now Moses is saying, no, no, no. You actually get leveled up to that same level. You, you, man and woman, which is just remarkable that, you know, the egalitarian nature of this, man and woman, right? We're talking 3,500 years ago, this being written down. Man and woman created in the image of God, being leveled up to the level of Pharaoh. Now, we live in a society where, you know, at least on paper, we believe people are people are people, right? We say that every person is uh, created equal, Right? and endowed with certain inalienable rights by our creator. We, we say that, and we even have phrases to like kind of talk about people like uh, that, that might be celebrities or whatever. We say, oh, no, you know, they put their pants on one leg at a time as well, and we, we try to reduce them to our level. And yet even in our society, there are certain people that are celebrated more than others. And you know, if you think back even just a, a couple months ago with the, the shocking and, and tragic uh, loss of Kobe Bryant, in this helicopter crash. I mean, the nation, the world was shocked. It was sudden, it was tragic. And yet, yeah, we'll all recognize that there were also eight other people on that helicopter and they don't get the same attention that Kobe did. And even though we're you know, a society that thinks people are people are people, there is still a tendency for us to celebrate certain people, to say that certain people are maybe just a little more spectacular than others. And we, we see this. And what we tend to do, and I'll admit, what I tend to do in those situations is I take the, the celebrities and I try to bring them down to our level. And I say, you know what? They're just a normal person like you and me, right? They have the same fears and insecurities and like they go through life. And yes, they might have accomplished this, but they're just, they're just people, right? And so what we try to do is we take spectacular people and we try to level them down. But Moses does the opposite. Instead of Moses like coming in and telling the Israelites, by the way, Pharaoh's just like you, he actually starts by saying, you guys are actually as spectacular as Pharaoh. Actually, even more so. Because Pharaoh was the image, maybe, of one of their gods. But Moses starts out his creation narrative by saying all the things that the Egyptians worshipped, like the sun and the moon and the stars, well, the one true God made all of those things. And you're in his image. Every one of you male, female, child, uh, aged, every human being is in that image. And all of us are leveled up to the highest level. And so, you know, we, sometimes we look at a, you know, a Kobe Bryant, or maybe ladies, you look at a, a Beyonce. And can I tell you that the thing that makes Kobe so special isn't his skills on the court or his determination. And the thing that makes Beyonce so remarkable isn't that she's Beyonce. The thing that makes Beyonce and Kobe so remarkable is that they are image bearers of the one true God. And actually, I, I believe that if we, if we were able to recognize just how precious that is, how precious the image of God in them is, we wouldn't celebrate them less. We would celebrate them more. 
We'd actually celebrate, we'd lift them higher and higher because what makes them so special is that they are image bearers of God and you are too. That in fact, the most remarkable person that comes to mind for you, and it might not be celebrities, like that might do nothing for you, but, but who is that person for you? Who do you think is remarkable? Who do you think is special, like on just a, a whole nother level? Uh, you know, is it a, a business person? Is it uh, an entrepreneur? Is it a brilliant scientist or a brilliant artist or musician? Uh, you know, for me, uh, one of these people is John Piper. Some of you might have, uh, be familiar with him. He's a, a pastor and an author. Uh, last week or a couple weeks ago, Robert sent Chris and I an email uh, saying that John Piper wrote a book uh, about the coronavirus since it all came undone. I think Robert's email said something like, I'm struggling to put my pants on and brush my hair. And John wrote a book. Like in the last few weeks, he wrote a book. And you look at somebody like, I look at somebody like that. I'm like, man, that guy's remarkable. And, and we all have people that we look at and we think they are significant. And, and if we could understand that the thing that is, makes them significant all right. The thing that makes them significant is the very thing that we share with them, that we are made in the image of the creator of the universe. Right? And we might feel like we have nothing in common, but the most special thing about the most special person in the world is that they're created in the image of God. And that's true of you as well. All of us are leveled up. So don't celebrate people less. Just know that you are worth celebrating just as much as they are because you bear the image of God. Martin Luther King Jr., he said that there are no gradations in the image of God. Here's the, the third dimension. He says every person, uh, the third dimension is that God is passionate about his image. And where we see this on display most is actually in the, the second commandment. So if you go to Exodus uh, chapter 20, this is the second commandment. So right after God says, have no other gods before me, he says this. He says, you shall not make yourself an image in the form of anything, in heaven, above, or in the earth, beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. All right? And he just kind of hounds on this. You shall not make any image. This is kind of a strange thing. But God is, is passionate about his image. And, and for a couple of reasons. One, it, God doesn't want us making an image because we're going to botch it up. Like there's a reason that they don't ask third graders to do the presidential portraits. I think that would be a fun exercise. But, uh, but if we try to make an image of God, we'd distort it. It wouldn't be a very accurate image. But the other reason is he's already made an image and it's you. God is passionate about this. He actually goes on to say that I, the Lord, am a jealous God. And that might be kind of hard to think of. Is God jealous? Because we think of jealous as insecure. But it's not jealous as insecure. He's jealous because he cares. Like deeply cares. I actually learned this the hard way when I was in high school. Uh, I got in trouble with a high school girlfriend because I wasn't jealous enough. And I found out it was because I didn't care about the relationship, which is why the relationship ended. But God in this situation, when he says he's jealous, he's saying, I care deeply about my image and you bear my image. And you might ask, if God cares about his image so much, then why all of this? Why is this going? Why coronavirus? Why are we saying goodbye to people? Why are there refrigerator trucks outside of hospitals? And it's, it's because God is jealous for his image. He's jealous for his image. Because in the same way that you and I bear his image, you and I also, we desecrate his image. We, we do. You know, God gave us his laws so that he could protect his image. You know, Jesus, he was asked, Jesus was asked, what's, what's the greatest command? 
And Jesus didn't respond to one command. He responded with two. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he added two. He says, and love your neighbor as yourself. And, and we think of this as a command for us to follow, and it is, obviously. But this is a command that's also supposed to benefit you. God, Jesus gives this command because you, he wants you to benefit from it. He wants your neighbors to love you as they love themselves because he cares about you as his image. But we, we've completely botched this up. And we have desecrated the image in others and we've desecrated it in ourselves. And so he goes on that, to say that he, he is a God who is punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. And, and this is a, a phrase that gets picked up numerous times in Exodus. And this is a, uh, kind of in its fullness. He says it this way. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness. Hold on to that. Forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And yet... He doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the sins of the, the children and their children for the sins of the parents of the third and fourth generation. See, God cares about his image, so he, he wants to forgive us because we're his image bearers. And he loves us. He wants to pour out his love on us. But he also cares about his image, and so he wants to exact justice for the ways that his image has been desecrated by others and how it's been obscured and distorted by us. And this is God's dilemma, so to speak. How can he, on the one hand, forgive a thousand generations and on the other hand, punish ten generations? How can you do both of those simultaneously? And we see this come together in the cross, the fullness of God's passion for his image. And, and what we actually see in Romans, the author of Romans picks this up. He actually says, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. So God gave us his laws so we could bear his image and produce another. We couldn't do it because it was weakened by our flesh. But God did it by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. So even though we were creating the image of God, God then sends his son in our likeness. Not the best of us, but as the worst of us. In the likeness of our sinful flesh to be a sin offering so he condemned sin in the flesh. In his son. This is how passionate God is about his image. He's not going to let what's been done to you go without being punished. But he's also going to forgive you. And he's made a way for that to happen by sending his son in the likeness of our sinful flesh so that the image of God can be fully born in you and me. God is passionate about his image. And so I want to leave you with these two questions and the the questions that Max Lucado gives in his book. Will you let this truth, will you let this truth define how you view yourself? You are an image bearer of the creator of the universe. Nothing else gets to bear his image. You are leveled up to the highest level of any human being and God is passionate about you. Will you let that define how you view yourself and Will you let that define how you view the people around you? Because each one of them is also a bearer of the image of the creator of the universe. Imagine what it would be like if we lived in a world where every one of us was looking out and we were seeing the world around us and every person we ever meet as an image bearer, a precious image bearer, a glorious, spectacular image bearer of the creator of the universe. And what if all of them were seeing you that way as well? I'm going to invite the band to come up and uh, we're going to have a time to go to the Lord's table and we're going to be able to, in, uh, in, in these moments, reflect on the reality that Jesus took on the likeness of your sinful flesh 
to be a sin offering so that the consequences of sin could be dealt with. And in addition to that, how you have been forever made clean so that the image of God in you can be restored. So we're going to take some time to reflect on that as we come to the Lord's table and then we'll go before God in worship again, singing praises to this creator who's made you and me in his image. Would you join me in prayer? Father, you are glorious. You're spectacular. And it's hard for us to even grasp how incredible you are. But even as we look out at creation, we see things that just take our breath away and to think that you, you made those things. That the most spectacular thing we've ever seen doesn't hold a candle to how spectacular you are. God, and then to think that of all the things in creation, you made us in your image. That we are that important, that significant, that unique and special God, but that not only are we that special, but you care so deeply for us as your image bearers. That even though we have done so much to distort the image within us and and desecrate the image in others, you, in your your grace and your abounding love, found a way to forgive us while still holding us accountable for that. And we thank you and we praise you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.